excuse me this morning. Um, we just remember last week we had that great comedian, Michael Jr. Uh, we just really want to make you guys laugh this year, so let's just watch this clip of Michael Jr. You ever hear somebody tell you an amazing story about how they almost got killed? I know it sounds like it's a skirt in Ireland, but that's how black people say it. <laughs> killed, you know, man, if I would have turned this way, man, I would have got killed. Something told me to go the other way. I didn't want to be a Christian either for a long time because some Christians are creepy. There's some creepy Christians. It's creepy everything. It's creepy Muslims, but some Christians is creepy. You ever had somebody, they talk about God and their voice change all of a sudden? Like, yo, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm cool. Can I tell you about the Lord? What is wrong with your voice? What's wrong with your voice? Where somebody start praying in the middle of your conversation? You was just having a conversation. Yo, you see the game? That was a good game. Man, that game was good, God. We just thank you for being so holy, Lord. You're so awesome. I'm like, are we praying right now? You are creepy. Before I became a Christian, I used to, I would ask a girl out, and this, this one girl, I remember, she said to me, she said, I'm dating Jesus. I didn't know what that meant. Now I realize she was just saying she wanted to get closer to God before she started dating. Back then, I had no idea. I thought she was dating Jesus. <laughs> a month later, she called me up. I said, you still want to go out? I'm like, did you break up with Jesus? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know for sure, but I think it was your fault. Whatever happened, <laughs> it was your Now you come to me, you are confused. You better go back, I'm telling you. He forgive you for everything and you get free wine? You better call him. You better go call him. Because what if I'm the jealous type, right? I walk in the room, she praying, I'm like, who are you talking to? Because you got different types of Christians. This is what I found out. You got Christians who are cool, you can hang around with them, iron sharpen iron relationships, right? Then you got Christians who may have a little limp in their walk. They got the hat on, but the shoes don't match. <laughs> then you got Christians who I'm just gonna put this out there. You ever know somebody that was oversaved? <laughs> don't look at them, don't look at them. <laughs> you can't even have a regular conversation with him. He's like, hey man, I'm thirsty, you thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord. Thirsty for the Lord. Hey, I lost my keys. Could you help me find my keys? You need the keys to the kingdom. My like, yeah, I didn't drive a kingdom. Yeah. I drove a Toyota. I know as soon as I said oversaved, some of y'all had somebody in mind, but if you didn't, somebody had you in mind. You could be oversaved. You ain't know it. Now I got to let you know that you're oversaved. A couple indicators to let you know you're oversaved. Just a couple indicators. Um, if you don't mess around with computers because they got a cursor. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you rebuke vacuum cleaners because it's a dirt devil. I got an aunt that's oversaved. She messes up television shows for us. We're watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition. The beginning of the show, they always tell you the sad story about the people. My aunt gonna start praying for them. 
Lord, help them get a new house, Lord. Just... They're going to get a new house. They're going to get a new house. She's like, yes, you got to believe. I'm like, no, you got to have a cable is what you got to do. Amen. So we're going to find joy in the journey. Hallelujah. That's what we're here about. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing uh, this year at Christian Hills. We do have a vision card, uh, which are back at the information desk. And uh, basically, it's highlighting some of the things that we're excited about that we're rejoicing about this year, and you can read that on the back of the card, but we encourage you to take one of these cards, but don't just read it and then throw it away, but read it and maybe give it to somebody else and invite them to come out to Christian Hills this year. Amen? Because you know what? God has called us here to be a light in the midst of darkness, and Christian Hills is a light on top of a hill. God has a plan and a purpose for Christian Hills, and I know we are called to do great things this year. I believe we're going to see great fruit come into the church this year. And for that to happen, we need to invite people to church and let the Holy Spirit touch their heart. Amen? So I encourage you to grab one of those, read it. You'll kind of see what our vision is, some of our big events that are going to be happening this year at CHC. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, we are in the book of Philippians. We will be wrapping up the book of Philippians today. Uh, I want to remind you a little bit about the book of Philippians because it is a book that centers in on joy. And uh, I forgot my thing, so if we can hit the next slide, I want to remind you that our theme is really, our foundational theme is found in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. And then also, I kind of highlighted another verse to you that's not in Philippians, but has a lot to do with joy, because we need to choose joy in the journey for this year. We need to put ourselves in a position to receive joy in the midst of no matter what happens to you. And it really doesn't matter what happened to you. If you put your place in a position with the Lord in connection with God, he promised to bring you joy no matter what happens. But it says in Romans 15, 13 this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's really our prayer is that we would be filled with his hope filled with his presence so that we may overflow with the power of his Holy Spirit and find that joy in the journey this year. And then I'm kind of adding a new verse, John 15, 11. It says this, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my own joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And that is a promise that I believe is from Jesus to us that as much joy as he had and everything that he faced in his life and, and, the, and the Pharisees tormenting him and all the other things and even people deserting them because there became one point where everybody kind of deserted him. He looked at his disciples and said, are you going to desert me too? And yet he had joy even in the midst of people deserting him and leaving and going off there or going off there. But I want to tell you something. God is, is here in that same joy that Jesus had. We can experience it this year as well. And so uh, I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're going to look at chapter 4 today in the book of Philippians and wrap up this book. I've told you before, but about 18 different times throughout this book, Paul keeps talking about he talks about joy, he talks about rejoicing, he talks about making sure we find this joy, connect with this joy, that we rejoice, and no matter what happens to us. And so uh, as we look into Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're going to read the chapter for you here. Uh, so follow along with me as I read from the NIV version. 
it says this. It says, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear, dear friends. I plead with Eudoria and I plead with Sinchi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And in our key verse for the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. And remember, he's kind of speaking to two people that are kind of in disagreement with each other, a little bit of disunity in the church there in Philippi, and he's saying we need to rejoice. And he says it again, we need to rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, which is all about joy, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Moving on into verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And remember, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, he's coming up to go on trial, and we know that it's not going to go well for him from church history. But he goes on to say that, even in his trouble, he has joy. Even in the understanding of everything that's happened in this church, by the way, sent him an offering to help him up because in those days, nobody paid for uh, your food or expenses if you were under house arrest. You had to find your friends or relatives to be able to help you out there. So he goes on to say, Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again, and when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he sends these final greetings. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you that Philippians is a book that challenges us to rejoice and find joy in the journey. Doesn't matter what happens around us. Doesn't matter what happens to other people or what's happened politically or what's happening in our community or culture. Doesn't matter if there's a shooting at the mall or what matters 
is that we can find joy in your journey, Lord. We can find joy in this life, joy in the midst of all these other things, the trials, the tribulations, the sin-filled actions. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is here to give us joy and to find that in each and every one of our lives. Amen? Three things I see in this chapter, if we can flip there. It said, we find joy in a journey. Three things that the apostles said. If you want to find joy in the journey, you need to do these three things. So the first thing he kind of talked about is, and it's in regard to these two ladies that are kind of having this disagreement in the church of Philippi. Now, I don't know about you, but how would you like to have your name in the Bible for everybody to read for centuries because you have a disagreement with another sister in the Lord? How many would like to see your name there? I wouldn't want to see my name there. So I really hope when I get to heaven, I can approach them and say, hey, did you guys reconcile? Is everything worked out? Did you work it out? I mean, because really the whole idea is Paul is really telling these two, and he repeats himself many times about division and dissension, and the church will rob a church of its joy. And so we need to make sure that we reconcile and rejoice. You know, there's the R&R, rest and relaxation, that everybody talks about and goes after. But, you know, there's the R&R that really brings joy in the journey. It's called reconciliation and rejoicing. Because when you reconcile, when you forgive somebody, when you work something out with someone else, guess what? God gives you a sense of joy and peace about that situation. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. The second thing that he brings up here is, we really need to pray rather than worry. Now, we're going to talk about that because I think our, our society is so messed up, more people worry than they pray today, and I really believe that is true. See, we worry about everything, but we can't change anything with worry. Worry will never fix the problem. Worry will just stress you out. Worry will affect you physically, mentally. I think it will affect you spiritually. But we don't, we don't need to just worry. What we need to do is get rid of the worry, and we need to pray. Because when you pray, you find peace. When you pray, you find hope. When you pray, you connect with God. And when you connect with God, you connect with his presence. When you connect with his presence, supernatural things happen. And then thirdly, we need to learn, like the Apostle Paul, to be content in life no matter what comes your way. You know, I read a book a long time ago, and it's, you know, when life brings you lemons... You make lemonade. And it's really about what we're talking about, finding that joy, finding joy no matter what happens in life. Well, before I jump into my three points, specifically, I, I kind of have a little story I want to share with you. It's on the lighter side of life. It's called the mule, the monkey, and the man. God created the mule and told him, you're a mule. You will work constantly from dusk to dawn, carrying heavy loads on your back. You will eat grass and lack intelligence. You will live for 50 years. The mule answered God and said, to live like this for 50 years is too much. Please give me no more than 20 years. And it was so. Then God created the dog and told him, you are a dog. You will hold vigilance over the dwellings of man to whom you will be his greatest companion. You will eat his table scraps and live for 25 years. The dog responded, Lord, to live 25 years as a dog like this is too much. Please, no more than 15 years. And it was so. God then created the monkey and told him, You are a monkey. You shall swing from the tree to tree, acting like an idiot. You will be funny, and you shall live for 20 years. And the monkey responded, Lord, to live 20 years as a clown of the world is too much. Please, Lord, give me no more than 10 years. And it was so. Finally, God created man. And he told him, 
You are a man, the only rational being that walks the earth. You will use your intelligence to have mastery over the creatures of the world. You will dominate the earth and live for 20 years. The man responded, Lord, to be man for only 20 years is too little. Please, Lord, give me the 20 years the mule refused, the 15 years the dog refused, and the 10 years the monkey rejected. And so God made man to live 20 years as a man, then marry and live 20 years like a mule, working and carrying heavy loads on his back. Then he is to have children and live 15 years as a dog, guarding his house and eating the leftovers after the, after, to keep the pantry full. Then in his old age, to live 10 years and act like a monkey as he acts like an idiot to amuse his grandchildren. And it was so, amen? <laughs> Well, you know, we got to find joy in this journey because this life is filled with joy. You, you can look at what's going wrong. You can look at what's not there. But what you can look at is you can look at what God is doing, and God wants to do great things in our lives. And that's just something a little on the humor side. So back to our text in Philippians. And, and I just want to challenge you to, you know, take a good hard look at where your life is. Because as Paul is, you know, like I said, under house arrest, but he's really teaching us and the reason this is in the Bible is the Holy Spirit wants us to see that there is joy in this journey no matter what happens to you. You know, last week we talked about profit and loss. That's what the Apostle Paul talked about, that we can either choose to have a heavenly mindset, he really talked about that in chapter 3, or an earthly mindset. Our mindsets will determine how we view our lives in light of profit and loss. One mindset will call an item a profit, but the other mindset will usually call it a loss. It's all about your perspective. It's all about what you're focusing on. It's all about what you're looking at. And so we need to make sure that we have the right mindset and we're focused on the right things. So today, as we progress into chapter 4 Philippians, he's really speaking to us about how we stay on track with the Lord, how we find joy in the journey. And these three things that I just shared with you, I want to highlight and give a little bit more detail to each and every one of them. So let's look at point one, reconcile and rejoice. The R and the R. And I'm not talking rest and relaxation, but can I say this? If you don't learn to reconcile with others and learn to rejoice, you won't find rest and relaxation because there's something about unforgiveness that just kind of never leaves us. Can you say amen to that? Would you agree with that? I mean, unforgiveness really, it, it really doesn't affect the person we're not forgiving. And you know what? That person may have actually done something that really wronged you. But, you know, the Bible tells us that we need to forgive because forgiveness is good for us. And too many people, and I kind of highlighted it a little bit last week, but too many people are stuck in a rut of unforgiveness and they can't get out. And that unforgiveness and that unwillingness to reconcile robs them of the joy in their life. It takes away all the pleasure of the things that are happening all around them, but because they harbor bitterness or anger or unforgiveness, they don't see all the good things that are happening around them because these things have them blinded to uh, their life. So we need to reconcile and rejoice. That's what Paul addresses when he addresses these two ladies in the church there. We need to settle differences and we need to settle offenses in our family, and we need to in relationships, especially within the church. We are not to hold grudges with one another because it will sidetrack us in our walk with the Lord. It will hinder 
our relationship with God. I believe unforgiveness will hinder us. It says in the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as what? As we forgive those who sinned against us. It's give us our daily bread, by the way. Give us our daily bread, but forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Jesus even put it in the Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray. You should pray that you're forgiven, but you should also pray that you forgive others because it kind of connects the whole thing of salvation in a very important light. And then he goes on to say, we are not to harbor unforgiveness with others because Jesus, it gives Jesus a black guy. It makes Jesus look bad. You know, you know we can go back into what we talked about here, that whatever we do, we should do it to honor the Lord. We should live a life worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul challenged us to do that in the beginning part of Philippians. And you know what? We need to make sure that when, see, when we choose not to forgive, I think the saddest thing out there that happens that hinders the kingdom of God more than even the devil. I, I, you know, I, I know the devil fights against the church. I know the devil is at war against the churches, uh, even in our community. I've heard of more churches in our community splitting over nonsense, crazy stuff. And, 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 the, and, and when I look at that, and you know what? And, and it's Christians that are fighting amongst each other. And yes, I know the devil's involved in that, but they can't see it and they're blinded to it. And so what happens is they split churches, they hurt churches, they talk about people in the church, they rip people down in the church. And as a result, it kills, I believe, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I think it grieves the Holy Spirit. And I think that's why the church of Jesus Christ is not making the impact it should be making today. I think it's all related to unforgiveness. I think it's all related to this inability to reconcile and work things out. And, you know, that's been one of my missions is always to reconcile and work things out with other people. Why? Because it's better for us, it's better for the church. If we want to uh, make the Holy Spirit happy, that's what we need to do. And, and Paul is just really challenging these two ladies to get it together. And he even says to the rest of the church, hey, help them reconcile. Help them work this thing out. Help them solve this disagreement. And, and who knows what the disagreement was over. Maybe it's over music, by the way right? You think that's an issue? Maybe it's over the color of the carpet or the color of the tile. Or maybe it's over the way they do ministry. Or maybe it's over outreach. Or maybe it's over this. Or maybe it's over that. But the, the challenge is, is for them to reconcile and work it out so that they find joy, so that they can rejoice. And he says it again, so they can rejoice again. And it's beneficial for us to forgive. A recent study a survey was made of 200 married couples in regards to forgiveness. The researchers were wondering how one's ability to forgive others would affect their marital satisfaction and personal well-being. The results were astounding, according to the study. This research suggests that there is a huge relationship between marriage satisfaction and forgiveness. In fact, it appears as much as one-third of a marriage satisfaction is related to the ability of the two partners to be able to forgive each other. And I think that's pretty big because, you see, if we choose to not to forgive, it doesn't just impact our family, it impacts our marriage, it impacts, and they said it's a big sign of depression. If you are not willing to forgive, you have more symptoms of depression, anxiety, and fatigue. 
And, and it goes on to say that, you know, really there's a big need that people even outside the church world need to learn the power of forgiveness because forgiveness does come back and touch us. John Bevere said in the book, I think it's one of the best books on the concept of why we need to forgive each other, in the book, The Bait of Satan said this, many are unable to function properly in their calling because of the wounds and the hurts that offenses have caused in their lives. They are handicapped and hindered from fulfilling their full potential. Most often it is a fellow believer who has hurt them. And then he just goes on to say, and as a result, it hinders their ministry. It hinders what God wants to do with them. And he, and he kind of goes on in his book to make it very clear. He's, he's like, you know what? God is, is, this is not something that is optional. We have to learn to forgive other people. Doesn't matter what they do to us. Doesn't matter what they say about us. We need to learn to forgive them and we need to move on. And you say, well, Pastor Mike, you know, you know, we need to do this and we need to do that. But I want to give you a true story. This is a true story told by a pastor called Melvin Newland. And he goes on to say this is one of the most incredible stories of forgiveness he said he has ever heard. And it came out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, probably about 10 years ago. Tom McGee was a young man who one night went out for a night of partying and rivering. He got drunk. He ran head on into a car driven by a young man by the name of Ted Morris. He killed Ted Morris instantly while driving under the influence of alcohol. And this wasn't the first time that he had been arrested for drunk driving. Tom McGee was put on trial for manslaughter, found guilty. He was sentenced to a term of several years in prison. But the prison was overcrowded, and the prisoners were being given early parole. So Tom McGee actually spent only about six months in prison before being released on parole. But he evidently hadn't learned his lesson, for it wasn't long he was arrested again for drunk driving within weeks of being arrested from prison. So his parole was revoked, and he was sent back to complete his entire prison sentence. Jack Morris, who was the victim of the one that he killed, which was his son, he was the father of, uh, and he went and visited Tom McGee in prison once he heard he was arrested and back in jail again. And he said the Holy Spirit told him that he needed to go talk to this young man. Now, this is a young man who killed his son in a drunk driving thing. After visiting him several times, he started taking cookies that his wife Elizabeth felt that she needed to make for him. So she would bake him cookies every week, and he would go visit him in prison. And believe it or not, they became friends. And finally, Tom McGee was released from prison he completed his couple-year sentence, and when he was released, he had no place to go. So Jack and Elizabeth Morris, the mom and dad of the individual he killed in a drunk driving incident, invited him into their home, and they gave him a place to stay. They provided the means by which he could receive an education, and they helped him find a job. They were members of Church of Christ in Tulsa, so they took him to church with them where Tom McGee accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was baptized for the remission of his sins. And just recently, the news has come out that Jack and Elizabeth Morris have formally adopted Tom McGee and made him their son. <laughs> now that's an amazing true story of forgiveness. But can I tell you this about this couple that I'm thinking of and what we just heard about, Jack Morris and Elizabeth Morris? I bet you they have joy. I bet you they have discovered joy in a journey even at the loss of their son's life. And I'm sure that was horrendous. 
but they chose to forgive instead of not forgive. They chose the higher path, the path that Jesus would want us to take. And they chose that path, and I guarantee you that they probably know what it means to rejoice in the Lord always, and I say it again, rejoice. They know what it means to serve God with your whole heart and to believe his word and to forgive others who have offended us or even taken our son's life. And, and I don't know about you, but that's what Paul's trying to teach this church. That's what Paul's trying to teach these two ladies. And that's what he's trying to teach us today through the Holy Spirit, is that we learn to forgive. It doesn't matter what other people have done to us. It doesn't matter this or that. What matters is how are we going to handle it? What is our choice? Secondly, let's go on and let's look at the next point that he talks about in our chapter in chapter 4. And it's really this whole idea where he talks about, you know, we need to pray and not worry. And, and he kind of words it a few different ways, but, you know, he, he kind of says this. He goes on to say, hey, do not be anxious about anything, verse 6, but in everything by prayer and petition. There it is, by prayer with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. He goes on to say, you know, we need to pray, not worry. We need to really present our request to God. And he goes on to say in verse 7, there's a promise that goes with the action that is in verse 6. It said, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's a promise that if you choose to pray, if you choose to bring your petitions to God rather than worrying about them, God will give you a peace that will transcend the whole scenario. Doesn't matter what's happening, doesn't matter the, what your bank account looks like, doesn't matter what's happening in your family unit, doesn't matter if there's this or that going on. What matters is are you praying about it? Are you presenting it to God and asking Him to intervene and do something supernatural? And I think we need to make sure we choose to pray instead of worry about life situation. And, and you know, I think prayer encourages and gives hope and joy where worry discourages and brings despair. And trust me, worry will rob you of your joy in the journey of life. And, and you know, there's a lot of studies that have been done about worry. And if you look at the studies and, and you really get deep into them, you know, Dr. Wilson said excessive worry or what I call toxic worry, can make you sick. It can cut down your enjoyment of life. It can hamper your productivity. He said toxic worry is bad for every system of your body. It increases the risk of heart attacks and strokes. It impairs digestion. It causes shortness of breath. It causes all kinds of muscular, skeletal aches and pains, and it produces headaches and migraines, he said. So he said, we need to get rid of the worry. We, we need to choose, I think, instead to pray and not worry. We, we need to give our, our concerns to God. We are, as Paul says, we are not to be anxious about anything. It says in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, our minds shouldn't be focused on worry. Our minds should be focused on the good things of God. You know, I don't think elephants have a problem with worry. How do I know? Elephants live longer than people, maybe because they never worry about their weight. Have you ever had anybody look at an elephant and say, wow, that elephant's fat? But, you know, we worry about our weight. We worry about how we look. We worry about our dress. We worry about this. And, and you know what? A, another university doctor, John Hopkins, said this about worry. 
We do not know why it is that warriors die sooner than the non-warriors, but it is a fact, he said, in the medical realm. But he goes on to say this. He says, but I am of simple mind, said this doctor, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain, cell, and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is live against what we were created for, amen? And so therefore it kills us. And so the challenge is get rid of your worry. I like what Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, a long time ago. It was probably one of the bestsellers of all time of Christian books, but he said this. Worry is the warning light that God is really not first in my life at this particular moment. Because worry says that God is not big enough to handle my troubles. Jesus says in Matthew 6, set your heart first on God's kingdom and his goodness. And he said that at the conclusion of an entire sermon about worry. The antidote to worry is we need to put God first. And we need to trust God and believe that God is who he says he is. I believe this church belongs to God. Do you believe that? I believe God has a specific mission for this church. Whether it's full or not, hello, I'm going to be really candid with you. You know, it's cold out there, I know. <laughs> I, I looked last week because our crowd was pretty low, and I think we had over 80-something people watching us online. And if you're watching us online, praise the Lord, but I'd rather have you here encouraging us, amen? And, and, and you know, I think we need to encourage one another. I think we don't get it sometimes how important it is to come together as the body of Christ and, and to encourage one another, but also to rejoice as a family unit to God. Would you say amen to that? And, and I think we need to do that. And I think we need to know God loves this church. God has a plan for this church. You know, I, I sometimes think, you know, you know, I've been here 11 years at this church and we've gone through spiritual battles, ups and downs, trials and tribulations. People have come, people have gone, but you know what? We still continue to produce a great ministry in a school. We continue to touch people's lives. We continue to reach out. We continue to raise up people and send them out into ministry. And how many of you know that's what God wants us to do, amen? And so we need to get excited about our church. We need to get excited about our mission. We need to get excited about why we're here. Because trust me, if we didn't have a mission from God, we would not be here. Amen? And I know we have a mission, and I know fruit's coming, and I know more people are going to plug in, and I know more people are going to come to the Lord. And so I think we need to focus on the pure thoughts. You know, the impure thought says, you know, and I'm going to be really kind. I had a few people come to say, hey, what are we going to do? You know, Pastor Beth left and, and Pastor Donald left, which they were both often doing what God called them to do. They left with our blessing. And how do we think that, you know, they're really worried about what's going to happen to Christian Hills. Can I tell you something? Christian Hills will go on long as they go on and do what God has called them to do. Amen? And we need to get excited about that. We need to understand this is God's church. This is his place. You know, we just did the finish the financials, and Ray kind of brought me this nice graph of the financials for last that we had for this year and what we brought in for finances for this year. Now, most of you know we helped launch New Day Church in January. And, you know, praise God, New Day Church is doing awesome. About 50 people went with them, but most of you may not have known, but with those 50 people went $50,000 too. You may not have known that. But at the end of this year, we brought in around $12,000 more this year than we did the year before. And God deserves a hand clap for that. You can't outgive God. And, and God has a plan, and God has a purpose of why we're here. 
And so we need to get excited about Christian Hills. You need to invite people to Christian Hills because I believe God's going to change people's lives. And I believe it's up to us. It's up to us as members and, and attendees of Christian Hills Church to excite everybody around us about what God is doing at Christian Hills Church. Can you say amen to that? Because he's doing something good. See, we need to focus on truth-filled thoughts. See, the problem is a lot of times we start listening to the lies. The devil says, oh, Christian Hills Church is going to die. That's a lie. We've been around for 93 years, and trust me, I'm believing we're going to be around for 93 more years. Now, I won't be here in 93 years. And by the way, most of you won't be here either. But God's church is going to move on. God's church is still going to be a light on the top of this hill. And because we're 93 years old, some of the people that founded this church have passed away. But I have talked to a lot of those people, even some of them on their deathbed, who said to me, God has a specific plan, and Christian Hills is going to continue to raise up the next generation of leaders and send out missionaries, preach the gospel, and lead people to Jesus and see lives transformed. And I believe that. See, we need to focus on noble thoughts. We are not to have thoughts that are conjured up in the pit of hell, which says this or that's going to happen bad. We need to look at what heaven says about Christian Hills. We need to look at what God's doing here. He's releasing his love. He's releasing his power. He's releasing his gifts of the Spirit. We need to have reputable thoughts, not those shady thoughts that say we're not going to make it or this is going to happen or that's going to happen. I refuse to believe them. I believe God's going to do something great here at this church. We are to have lovely thoughts. We're to be connected to God's mind. And you know what? We're here for God. We're here to do his work. And, and, and you know, and, and some people, and, and I thank you for all those that have been encouraging me, but I want you to know, I really believe that every single person, Donald's doing what God called him to do. You know, he, came, he was here this weekend for a couple of days and we talked and he's right where God wants him to be. You know, Beth is where God wants her to be. And we need to understand, God's going to bring people in and send them out. God's going to bring people in and send them out, just like he brought Justin in and raising up New Day and took them to go with them. That is all part of God's plan. But if you worry about how that looks naturally, you can get yourself down. Because in the natural realm, it doesn't look like it should work out that way. But can I tell you something? God is greater than any of that. And it just showed by our finances. How can you bring in more finances in one year when your attendance goes down because you helped launch another church that also took $50,000 with that? Because God wanted to show something to this church, amen? He provides for this church. He meets the needs of this church. And so we need to look to him and trust him and get excited about what he's doing. You see, I'm a little bit fired up here today. Amen? By the way, here's the reality about worry. 40% of all things that we worry about never come to pass. 30% of all our worries involve past decisions that cannot be changed. 12% focus on criticism from others who spoke against the, because they felt inferior. 10% are related to our health, which gets worse when we worry. 8% of our worries could be described as legitimate causes for concern. And by the way, that adds up to 100%. And so worry doesn't do anything. But what, you know what changes is if we get on our knees and pray. That we get on our knees and pray, okay, Lord, uh, we need to grow Christian hills. You know, we've been praying we need drummers because we lost drummers. Uh, we, need dr we need bass players. You can pray for that. We need people to run sound. I need people to manage our kids' ministries and stuff like that. And, and it's awesome that all these other people went off to do their ministry. But can I tell you something? God hasn't left us here not to do nothing, but I think he's challenged us here to get on our knees and pray. 
and to really ask him, hey, Lord, I need your help. I need you to fill this hole, that hole, and that hole over there. And so, and I believe God will fill those holes because I, I can give you hundreds and hundreds of illustrations of God answering prayer. He is always faithful. And worrying about it isn't going to solve the problem. What's going to solve the problem is getting on our knees and praying as a church. I think even praying and fasting. We challenge you to pray and fast for 21 days. Maybe give up something like electronics or TV or something. But maybe over this next week, maybe I can challenge you to really pray and fast for for Christian Hills Church to have the breakthrough that I believe is coming, to have revival, to see people saved, to see us reach more people into our community and reach out to them. Can you say amen to that? Last thing, be content no matter what. <laughs> be content no matter what. You know, you find joy in a journey by being content in the circumstance God has you or the situation God has you. You see, Paul tells us that he has learned to be content in life with little and with much. He is not worried, he is not fearful, and he is content because of his relationship with the Lord is secure. He is under house arrest in Rome, but he knows the Lord is with him, and he is in the right position at the right time. He's not out of God's will being right where he's at. He has learned the three keys to contentment in life, and we've talked about two of them. Number one, forgive others and seek reconciliation. Secondly, don't worry about things. Instead, pray about them. And then thirdly, I think we really need to focus on God's purpose for our life, we need to live our life for God, and we will experience peace, joy, and hope if we do that. We will encounter joy in the journey if we focus on God. I come back to Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. He says this. He begins his book with these words. The purpose driven life, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. And God has a plan for every one of you. And part of, and your plan is to fulfill that, to, to go after that. That's what you're designed to do. And Paul just says, you know, he has learned the important lesson of contentment. And I know a lot of people in America don't know what contentment is. How do I know that? Well, you know, just look around. American consumerism is geared toward being dissatisfied with what we have. Have you realized that? The commercials that they're paying millions of dollars for in the up-and-coming Super Bowl are to get you to buy products, to make you dissatisfied with what you have and that you have to have this latest and greatest thing. Uh, Apple's been really good at doing this, by the way. You got to have the latest and greatest phone. You got to have latest and greatest computer, latest and greatest this or latest and greatest that. And people will go into debt to get the latest and greatest thing. And, and Paul says, I'm content with much or with little. I'm content when I'm full or empty. I am content with whatever I have or don't have. I am content with where I am in life. And I don't know about you, but I don't think a whole lot of people are content in America, even a lot of Christians. See, America ne says never be content with little, you loser. Get more and be a winner. America says never be content with an empty stomach. Supersize it. And then you'll get a bigger stomach. America says a 2,000-square-foot house is not big enough. Get a bigger one, and you'll be happier and more successful, and your neighbors will admire you. America says, are you content and happy with Nike stuff or without a Dell or without a huge flat-screen TV that is so big it takes up your entire wall? But you'll be happier if you get that big-screen TV. Or how about 
you know, the internet, how much internet, you know, and all the stuff on that, it makes you want something you never wanted before. Or go to Amazon, you know, because here's, here's the thought. Am I really content? I'm really content until I start looking through Amazon's catalog. Hmm. I'm really content. I like my car until I saw a new truck. I'm satisfied with my clothes until I stroll through American Eagle or the, or the mall and see things that, boy, I, I, I think I really need that. Not that I want it, I need it. I convince myself it's a need. I love our home until I think of what it would be like to own a log cabin on the shore of some remote lake. I, I even watch the Alaska shows, and, and, I, and, and I've even dreamed of moving to Alaska to live in, their, in, in the nowhere land and become a trapper, even though I'm 59 years old. And by the way, it ain't going to happen, so I'm not going anywhere. I'm satisfied with every area of my life until I start comparing with someone else's life. You know, I'm very satisfied with my church until I start comparing it to another church. Or I'm really satisfied with my ministry so I start comparing it to other ministers and their ministry. I'm very satisfied until I, I, I compare myself to someone else. I feel like I have enough of everything until I see some, someone who has more. And the challenge is, who are we living for? Am I content with what Jesus has given me and where he has me at in my life? See, America spends 1.5% more than they make. Did you know that? On average, the average American spends 1.5% more than they bring in in a week. And do you know where that goes? It's called a credit card who charges you, you know, horrendous interest. And the reality is we need to get control and be content with what God has us and understand God is doing something supernatural. You know, I talk to some of these other friends of mine that, you know, and, and you know what they always say to me, you know, Mike, you need, you need to be so grateful because your church is debt free. Our church is debt free. It's paid for. This building's paid for. That school's paid for. And we need to be happy that God put us in this position. That just means we can reach out more, do more outreach, reach people for Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. But, you know, there's that artificial internal drive of American consumerism that really goes after it says, if you imagine it, uh, you start imagining that you need something that you don't really need because you're bombarded with your subconscious with all these things on commercials that say, you know what, you need this, you need this. And then you start thinking, hey, I want this, I want this. Then you start telling yourself, hey, I need this, I need this. And then pretty soon you go buy it, even if you don't have the money to buy it. Because you think it's going to bring you satisfaction. And by the way, I don't know about you, I bought a few cars in my life. And within a week, after somebody dings it or runs into it, I bought a truck once when I... Uh, I told you I bought myself a truck for my birthday once. I had it a week, and I pulled out, and the guy ran into the side of it and smashed the whole side. I only owned it a week. And, you know, the first thing I said is, Lord, why did you let this happen? And the Lord said, it wasn't me. You didn't look in your mirror. <laughs> True, right? We seem even blame God for all kinds of stuff when it's not even God's fault. Amen? So we need to do the three things, right? All right, let's go wrap this puppy up. So as, you know, and I'm going to ask uh, uh, Ash come to the piano if she could. So what do we need to know? So let's go to our conclusion. We need to stay on track with the Lord by choosing to forgive and reconcile with others, especially in the church, especially in your families, by praying rather than worrying, by learning contentment with life if we want to discover joy in the journey. We need to do those three things, but we need to make a choice to do those three things like the Apostle Paul did. And then what do we need to know and do? We need to reconcile. I don't know about you, but if God puts somebody on your mind in a moment that you need to reconcile with, go reconcile. 
go say you're sorry, go apologize, go work it out. And then you can rejoice over doing that and rejoice with the Lord. And secondly, I think we need to pray more. I've been telling my staff, if we don't pray, we won't see the breakthrough. If we don't pray, we won't see the fruit. I can tell you this right now, doing a new program is not going to grow this church. What's going to grow this church is God's presence being here on a Sunday morning where people know his presence is here. Amen? It's people being touched by the Holy Spirit. It's being spoken to by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all these things that are going to grow. It's not a new program. It's not this or that. What really needs to happen is we need to pray more. We need to fast more. And we need to break through this this, what I consider to be a, a spiritual battle in this moment. And then lastly, we need to be content no matter what. God's here. How many of you know? Two more people are gathered in his name. Who's there? Jesus is. And if Jesus is here, guess what? That's the best thing there is. And so we're here to rejoice in the Lord. We're here to connect with him. We're here to find joy in the journey. And we here are here to connect with each other. And that's why I challenge you, man. We need to connect with each other. I, you know, if I challenge you out there on the internet... If you haven't been to church in a while, come to church. See what God's doing, amen? I don't know about you. I watched this church on the internet a few weeks back when I was up in Minnesota doing that funeral, and I thought, it is not the same. It's not the same, amen? It's not the same as coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and connecting with each other. So I challenge you, come on out. See what God's doing. Let's, let's stand as we close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for each and every person that is here today. I thank you, God, you're doing a new thing here at Christian Hills Church, and I'm excited about it, Lord. I believe fruit's coming. I believe families are coming that we're going to invest in and see you change their lives. I believe you're going to fire people up here at this church. I pray that we would rejoice and rejoice again in you, God, for what you've done and what you're going to do in the future, Lord. I thank you for that school that's ministering to all those kids, Lord. I thank you for the people we've raised up and sent out into ministry. And, Lord, I pray they continue to be successful continue to grow their churches, continue to grow their ministries, continue to plant churches in the mission field. And Lord, I thank you that you love this church and you died for this church and you want this church to move forward in the vision that you have for it. And so Lord, I pray that you would speak to each heart and each mind that is here today. And I pray you get them excited about Jesus Christ, about you, Lord, about your vision for this church and school. And Lord, how you've set us on this hill for the specific task in this day and in this hour. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. If you need prayer this morning, our altar team will be down here in front. Come on down. We'd love to pray with you. The rest of you, God bless you.